0: So we're going to begin the sermon today as dark as we can get it in this room. And we're going to begin actually in the dark because I want to begin with an illustration that happens inside of a cave. And in the late 1950s, early 60s, off the coast of New Zealand, they discovered a series of caves that had, to that point, Had been unexplored. Here's a picture of uh, deep inside that cave. So, explorers went in for the very first time and they got deep into the cave when they noticed uh, something that they'd never seen before. And I'll show you a picture of what they saw. They noticed in the cave there are these blinking lights all over the cave. And so they're deep into it and they start seeing these lights on top of the, of the cave, and, and they did, had no idea what this was. They'd never seen this before. At the same time that they noticed that there is lights on top of the cave, they noticed that they had a feeling and a sense that the floor was moving. And they shine their lights down on the floor... And underneath these lights were hundreds of thousands of moths that were moving all across the floor. And what they took a, a bit of time to discover is that the, the glowworms inside of the cave had figured something out. Um, they had figured out that somehow that moths... Uh, navigate by the stars. And they learned that if they could mimic a blinking star by moving back and forth and their tail within this mucus sac, if they could mimic a blinking life, they could get the moths who were on the floor to fly up towards them. And this would happen over and over, and again, this was observed by the the scientists inside of the cave. When the moth, thinking it was flying towards the the star and, and, and using it as a navigational tool, what they didn't know is they were flying up, unperceptible to them, where the glowworms had dropped down a single strand of silk. And that when they would fly up to them, one of their wings would get caught in the silk. And I think we showed a picture of this earlier, but just, it at first it was just one wing, but then it would fly around in circles trying to get free, and before you knew it, the entire moth is wrapped up in the single strand of silk. And if you can watch the documentary, I told you, man, I can find a lot of stuff on the Discovery Channel. (laughs) You watch this on the Discovery Channel, you watch this, the glow worm slowly begins to bring that moth all the way up. I mean, I'm watching this, and I'm like, man, there's got to be a sermon in here. (laughs) And I thought to just just think to myself that this is that, um, what are our blinking lights? Where is the enemy putting a blinking light in our paths? where we're we're unknowingly distracted. You know what I love about our our mission statements, unleashing people to God-breathed horizons, and that presupposes some things, that you have been appointed, that you have a God-given mission, but you've been anointed, you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then what happens is, one of the ways that the enemy most often destroys us, it starts with a blinking light, long before it's bondage, long before it's something we'll wrap them in, It just started with something that just got our attention. In this series, we've been looking at as a theme, a very real group, the Amalekites in scripture. They were the first group of people to challenge the Israelites, even though they knew all the stories and the power that God had used to deliver them, they still thought they could challenge God and his people. Amalekites, we've said, their name means pure evil. That's what it literally translates into. It means those who licked blood. They were cannibalistic. They were known to eat their enemies. And then also, they were those of the flesh. It was wicked. There was no sensuality not known in that culture. And the scripture says that in Galatians, in giving homage to this thought of the flesh, that our flesh, our sinful nature, is always at war. The word there is enmity against the spirit. And I know this is true for me. It just seems like every time... I want to really move to another level in my relationship with the Lord. I'm just getting spiritual momentum. An Malachite or some sort of thing in my flesh rises up to oppose the things of God in me. And for some of us, it's been that way for years and decades. And so in this series, I'm just boldly sensing, uh, 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 even repeating Jesus' words, this is the year. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is the year to proclaim freedom to the captives. And I just believe in 2023, this is a year where not only we're we going to be saved, but we're going to walk in new levels of freedom. And so in this series, and even today, what we're doing is we're shining some light on how to deal with our Amalekites. Did you see how I did that? Come on, somebody, in some light. Come on. So let's get out of the cave and get into the scriptures. First Samuel chapter 15. We're going to read about a king First few verses, first three verses says he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and he was appointed by God to be the king. And his mission, should you choose to accept it, was to destroy the Amalekites. And God says in those first three verses, he says, I have not forgotten what they did to my people in the wilderness when they challenged Moses and the people. So centuries later, God has not forgotten, and as God often did in the Old Testament, he judges wickedness. So he's using Saul, King Saul, and the Israelites to bring judgment upon this wicked nation. And and God says to Saul, when you judge them, he goes, I want you to wipe them all out, all the way down to the dogs. I mean, come on, somebody, all the way down to the dogs. In verse four, it says that Saul goes. He defeats the Amalekites. But he is distracted by the plunder. He's on his mission. God gives him a great victory. But there was a royal plunder that was his, should have been his. He he keeps some of the gold. He, He lets the king live. And he keeps back some of the choice cattle. He partially obeys, but not fully obeys. And the scripture says, he turned his heart towards the plunder that he saw. So here's somebody appointed, anointed on a great mission, sees great victory in a blinking light. And this is the turning point of King Saul. This is the apex. It's all down here in his narrative and his story. 210,000 people, soldiers. This is a great victory that God gives him. But in the midst of the spoils of war, a blinking light comes and ultimately derails him, and he loses his kingship. The title of this message, I would say, if I was to give it anything, is Don't Lose Your Kingship. And the scripture says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. There's a spiritual authority that you walk in and have as a Christian, but it also connotates to a spiritual power, spiritual power. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Whenever we move towards a blinking light, what happens is we forfeit our spiritual authority and our spiritual power. In some ways, we lose our kingship. They say that experience is the best teacher, and I agree with that. I just choose to learn through the experience of others rather than my own experiences. Come on. And King Saul, we're going to learn through his experience today, hopefully to avoid the same mistakes that he made. I'm going to read it, And then we're going to look at four choices that we have before us. Let's read in verse 13. So uh, to give you a a bit more context, Saul has won the victory. He has not fully obeyed. And he has gone to a city to hold a, a, a festival, to build a monument in his honor for this great victory that he has won. Verse 13 says, when Samuel reached him, it's the prophet of the Lord, Saul said, the Lord bless you. "'I have carried out the Lord's instructions.' "'But Samuel said, "'What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears? "'What is the lowing of the cattle that I hear?' "'Saul answered, "'The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. "'They spared the best of the sheep "'and caught the sacrifice and and, and cattle "'to the sacrifice to the Lord your God. "'But we totally destroyed the rest.' "'Enough!' Samuel said to Saul. "'Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night.' Tell me then, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you as king over Israel, and they sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites, wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Here comes the blinking light. Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to the Lord in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, here comes the key verse. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of divination, or the sin of witchcraft, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned, and I violated the Lord's commands and your instructions. and I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me, so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word and truly give us understanding. Four choices I see at play that really were four migrations that Saul um, had to deal with. And I think. There's four choices before us today as we deal with our own blinking lights and as we begin to deal with all the Amalekites in our life. And I know today we're, we're, we're starting out um, kind of like, man, what's going on? This is a kind of a darker thought. But I promise by the end, we'll, we'll get to the light and we'll talk about Jesus. First th- choice I think we have is this, is we have to choose to stay small in your own eyes. Choose to stay small in your own eyes. I love that verse, verse 17. It says, you were once small in your own eyes. I've been thinking about that this week. It was, how do I know when I'm um, getting big in my own eyes? How do I know when I'm no longer small? I think there are, I thought of just a few ways that I've known in my own life. I'm observed in my own life when I'm getting too big in my own eyes. The first one I thought of is this, is would I become the hero of my own stories? Notice there's this great victory that God says, I'll give the Amalekites to you. I'll I'll, I'll give you victory over them, and he does. But after the victory, Saul goes, it says, and builds a monument. To himself and I think about that how many things has God done for you he saved you he set you free He filled you with his spirit he's provided for you he's blessed you but over time it's so easy when we recall the stories to leave out the part that God did and where we once gave credit to the Lord we we just say replace it with you did it with I did it and it's so easy if we're not careful to build monuments in many ways to our own abilities. Really, that comes down to worship. Is there a discipline of worship where I deflect the praise and attributes of humanity back to the Lord and say, Lord, it was you? Another one, I think, the way I've known, is to not become possessed by a growing prayerlessness. So I watch the stories that I tell, and I also watch the rhythm of prayer. And any time I begin to get big in my own eyes, it's often there's a neglect of the place of prayer. There's a growing prayerlessness in my heart that I'm not immune to that must be observed because pride is the root of all rebellion, the scripture said it was the pride of Satan that got him cast out of heaven. It was the pride in Adam and Eve that wanted them to eat of the tree of good and evil to become like God. And the, the the root of all your sin and all my sin is pride. So we have to constantly struggle to stay small in our own eyes. Second choice that I think is important is we must choose the simple over the sensational. Choose the simple over the sensational. I love the language of Saul here. He he was wanting to do something sensational. I saved the best, and I I saved all this cattle, and I'm planning this elaborate worship service, and I'm calling the nation to, to come and do all of these things. And yet Samuel's response is this in verse 22. To obey is better than sacrifice. It's like Saul got into this and he knew the plan and directive of the Lord, but in many ways Saul had a better plan, a grandiose plan. And Saul sim- or Samuel simply says to obey is better better than sacrifice. And I'll, I'll put it in simple terms for the Christian, nothing beats obedience. Yeah. Nothing in your life will ever beat obedience to the lordship of jesus christ in your life whether that's i think obedience can come from a few areas from the morality of scripture the moral boundaries that scripture lays out for us i think obedience can come from the leadership and the witness of the holy spirit in our lives and i often think it comes through a god consciousness in our life or we do not sin against our own conscience. I think those are three areas, the word, the spirit, and the conscience. Choose simple over obedience, obedience over the sensational. Let me say another thought. Obedience is never convenient. And can I be honest? This has been true for me. The obedience that God caused me to is really uncomfortable, and it never comes at a convenient time for me. And I'll say another thing about obedience is that partial obedience is still disobedience. Sometimes I've been like Saul. Oh, Lord, I obeyed some of it. Don't I get partial credit? Don't I get a trophy for just participating? I think that's often the way we talk to ourselves. But partial obedience, guys, is still disobedience. Because here's what's at stake. When it comes to obedience, obedience is the secret to spiritual power. And any time we dilute our obedience, we diminish our spiritual power. And so let us walk in obedience. When I was 15 years old, I I once um, got out of school and went to a a lunch break at our church, and we had a visiting evangelist come in, and I still remember this. I was in high school, and I'll never forget the first time that I heard this. And he said, "This if if you've lost the voice of God, and you can no longer hear it, go back to the last thing He told you to do, and do it. And that'd be good advice. I've always kept that. If the word of the Lord to you is hard and rare and hard to find." What is the last thing he told you to do? Go back and do it and watch what happens. Because the thing about Jesus is he never asserted his own will. When he was in the wilderness, tempted by the devil, he didn't turn stones into bread. He didn't jump off of a temple mount. No, he submitted to the Father's will and waited for the angels to deliver him. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane where the weight of the world, sins were coming upon him, sweating drops of blood. And he said... Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And there he is on the cross submitting to that shameful, horrific death when he could have called down a myriad of angels to deliver him at any moment with just a word. But yet he doesn't assert his will and die sacrificially. Let me say it again. Choose the simple over the sensational. Next thing I see, another choice, is choose to give God your best and not your leftovers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Verse 9 says, they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So in other words, they'll obey uh, this command and give God the the weak things, but wouldn't give him the best things. You know, the book of Malachi is really a book or centered around obedience to the tithe. And the people argued with the prophet saying, we have obeyed the tithe. And Malachi looks at them and says, you have brought the Lord, the lame and the maimed. And he says, you have given the Lord the weak and the despised, but you have not given the Lord your best. You've given him your leftovers. And I'm so tempted to do that in my own life, to give God my leftover resources to give God my leftover time and the leftover use of my talents. So easy to do. In essence, this is what Saul does. There's a humorous story of a father, a husband who comes into the house at dinner and says, we have good news. The cow has given birth to twin calves. We have two. One is red and one is white. And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to raise them both up. And when the day comes, we're going to sell them both. And The proceeds from the one we will keep and the proceeds from the other we will give to the work of the Lord. The wife asked a good question. Which one is the Lord's calf and which one is ours? Ah, we'll just grow them together. And when the time comes, we'll just do what I said we'll do. We'll sell one and we'll sell the other. Well, a few days later, one of the calves dies the husband comes into the house and says, I have really bad news. He's all disheveled, discouraged. Well, what's the bad news? Today, the Lord's calf died. <laughs> Why is it always that that's the Lord's calf that dies, right? It's a simple little story with a potent truth, though, is that we're guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. You're guilty of that. Where we choose God just to, rather than give him our best, we give them our leftovers. Here's the last choice. And I think this one is probably the one that we struggle with the most in our current society. And I'll say this, choose to live out of identity rather than into an image. Choose to live out of identity rather than into an image. Is what uh, Saul's own words, he explains his disobedience. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. We live in a digital age that is consumed with image, image management, image um, production. and In fact, in marketing terms, they have these two. They talk about brand identity and brand image, and brand identity is what the owner says it is, but brand image is what the people say it is. And I think we live in a culture where the blinking light, the temptation is to move towards an image rather than what culture is saying rather than living out of an identity what the owner is saying about us. And I just I just begin to think, how do I know if I'm moving into an image versus an identity, okay? I think there are ways that it show up When you start moving towards an image, living towards what the preferences of a crowd, it says convictions quickly become preferences. Convictions become preferences and standards now become opinions. Convictions will become preferences and standards become opinions. One of the things I wrote down, we begin to chase opportunities rather than walk in the paths of our anointing and our calling. We're consumed with chasing the approval of the people. We're We're so scared about being canceled. We're chasing likes and retweets and all kinds of things to validate an image versus living out of identity. Let me say something like this. Discipleship is learning how to live for an audience of one, Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see my father doing it, and I don't say anything unless he, I hear him saying it. He lived for the audience of one. And let me say this. I, I challenge you on this. Find a part in Scripture, a story in the Scripture, where the crowd was right. Go from Genesis to Revelation, and I will challenge you, when did the crowd get it right? live for the audience of one because it is possible to be accepted by the crowd and be rejected by the Lord. So let us live for the audience of one. That's why it's so important to have a regular pattern of Bible reading because it is God saying over and over and over again what he thinks about you. Dr. Howard Thurman, the mentor to Dr. Martin Luther King for 40 years, quoted the same verses from Psalms 139 every single day. How many are your thoughts towards me, O Lord? They are as numerous as the sands of the sea. And I just think the scriptures, when you look at them, will tell you who you are and live out of that reality rather than trying to portray and live into an image of what culture says you should be and do. Live for an audience of one. So I'm going to ask you, if you're willing and able, would you go ahead where you're at and um, get the elements of communion in your hands? Today, I'm going to invite the worship team forward. I want you to get the elements of communion in your hands. We don't practice closed communion. That means you don't have to be a member here. And we leave it up to parents to decide for your children. We're not going to police that. And wait to receive the elements of communion together. For some reason, you missed it on the way in. You don't have to get up. We'll bring it to you. Come on. We're like the um, Instacart right now for communion. We'll bring it to your door. (laughs) Guys, I just want to say thank you for being a wonderful church. And I just... Thank you for being a church who prays, but I just, thank you for letting me just be a pastor and deal with these Amalekites this year. It's really out of a pastoral, just mandate and conviction that I'm doing this. As you hold the elements, I'd like to just kind of set the tone for us. First, uh, hold the wafer in your hand if you don't mind. The wafer represents this. I'm gonna show you two things here. The wafer represents the body of Jesus, which means this, God came to us. He didn't give us a celestial sign in the heavenlies in the sense that we had to look to to communicate in that way. He didn't, he didn't speak to us from afar. He sent the Son in bodily form, God incarnate, to dwell amongst us. So the body represents the physical body of Jesus He came to us. Now hold the blood in your hands, the the juice. That represents the blood of Jesus. And that represents that God cares for you, that he died a sacrificial death on a cross. He carried the weight of my sin and your sin upon him so that we could be made right with a holy God. So communion is a symbol of the body and the blood, two thoughts, God came and God cares. God cares. And Jesus said this, do this in remembrance of me. I think I need to be reminded more than I need new information. You know, we're good at remembering uh, December the 7th. Some of you are alive and remember December the 7th, 1941. That was Pearl Harbor. It was a phrase, we will remember, we remember Pearl Harbor. Remember Pearl Harbor. Some of you remember exactly where you were on 9-11-2001. You remember where you were, and, rem- and, and every phrase is we won't forget, never forget, remember 9-11. Well, one of the days in history of the, of the last century that was, some of you remember where you were at on this day, was July 20th, 1969. It is when mankind stepped on the moon for the very first time. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. Buzz Aldrin just turned 93 years old yesterday and got married, somebody. Come on. I mean, man, 93 and still married. I don't know. We'll see how long he lives now, huh? Yeah. Before he's in the lunar, air, the lunar craft on the surface of the moon, and before they get out, And before they step foot on the moon, he does something. He he asks for a moment of silence, and he takes communion on the moon. This is his own words, interviewing the guidepost. This is his words. And I'm doing this because it's Lunar New Year, okay? Come on, Chinese New Year. So I'm, I'm trying to bring it all together here. Lunar New Year and a sermon illustration, communion. It says, in the radio blackout, I opened the little plastic packages which contained bread and wine. He said, I poured the wine into the chalice our church had given me. In the one-sixth gravity of the moon, the wine curled slowly and gracefully up the side of the cup. It was interesting to think that the very first liquid ever poured on the moon And the first food eaten there were communion elements. And so just before I partook the elements, I read the words which I had chosen to indicate our trust that as man probes into space, we are in fact acting in Christ. So I read these words. I am the vine, you are the branches, and whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For you can do nothing without me. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I just want you to hold these elements in your hands. And I just want you to be reminded of the last phrase here. You can do nothing without me. Communion reminds us that we are grace-dependent. We are dependent upon a higher power. And if you're in this room this morning and uh, you need to be born again, the scripture says in Romans ten thirteen to call upon the Lord and he will save you. That means you're saved as you pray to Jesus to save you. I encourage you, as you hold these elements, God cares. He died for you. And God came, he came for you to save. This is the work of Jesus right here. And I'm hopeful that as we've sung and spoke from the word, that you have been drawn to Jesus. He is the only one with the power, we sung about his name, to save you. And if you want to put your trust and your care of your soul in him, right now ask him to save you. Submit the leadership of your life to him. He's your Lord and Savior now. Surrender to Jesus. And now I'm speaking to the other side of the room. We can think of much of ourselves. And just want to remind you again, you couldn't save yourself and you can't free yourself from your Amalekites. All Bible reading, prayer, and fasting does is it points us to the fact that we need Jesus to help us. And really, it's about entering into what Jesus has done, not about what you're doing. And you need a fresh reminder of that today. It's a finished work. It's a freeing work. And I just want us to pray through that outline here. Let's just choose right now to stay small in our own eyes. As you just right there, holding the elements of communion, just say, Lord, I humble myself before you. Keep me small, Lord, in my own eyes. Don't let pride take root in my life. If you feel like you've been getting large a hero of your own story, just say, "Lord, I'm sorry." Jesus, I need you. If you Scripture says when we receive the elements of communion to examine ourselves to see if we even be in the faith. I love communion because it's just a time of reflection. As you're there, come on, Christian. How's the obedience looking in your life? Is it partial obedience? Has he said something that you've been delaying on? What's he speaking to your heart? What's that thing coming to your mind right now? It's a beautiful time. I love this word, repent. It's a good one. Receive the grace of the Lord. If he's putting his finger on something, that's his love towards you. He's pointing his finger there because he wants to change you transform you ask for come on come to the throne of grace and just repent and say lord i repent i'm sorry i turn around lord i've been distracted by a blinking light i've been distracted by a blinking light some of you may feel like i'm bound i'm like that moth wrapped up in that sing of stroke and i need to be set free just right where you're at just tell them set me free from that today Lord, I feel like I'm being drawn to something that's not of you. Remove that from me. And now let's just tell the Lord, surrender. Lord, I give you my best. I give you all that I am. Come on, would you just place your life and surrender to him again in the elements of communion? You're worthy of it, Lord. I give you my life. I give you my time, my talent, my resources. You can have it all, Lord. And now just tell the Lord that you want to live for the audience of one, the approval of him. Let me live out of my identity in you, not of the image of this world. Father, I thank you this word today. I thank you that you're saving. And I thank you, Lord, that you're even preventing us from moving towards blinking lights. You're setting us free from the traps of the enemy in this series. We thank you for the power of Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that you'd restore kingship to your people, that they would have a spiritual authority today and a spiritual power upon them. Lord, as always, when we receive the elements of communion, we pray for divine healing. And if there's any in our midst that need to be healed today, I pray heal. Lord, we pray for cancer to be gone, heart conditions to be solved, mental health to be restored, anxiety to leave. God, every bit, whole in this room, we declare your word. We speak your word over your people. So, Lord, bless us as we receive these elements of communion. Thank you for your work, Lord. You came and you care. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat the wafer. And let's drink the juice. And let's stand as we get ready to close. We're going to, we won't be collecting cups. We just stopped doing that in this COVID season. You can drop them on your way out in the trash cans. But as always, we stand with us if you can. And we always like to close with a time of worship.